everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dragon Fruit. I'm your host, Caroline Chang, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Michelle Barton. An environmental specialist with LA Sanitation and Environment, Michelle runs their biodiversity and healthy soils programs. In this episode, we discuss their current and upcoming projects, community science, what being an environmental specialist actually means, and so much more. I encourage anyone that is currently in LA to get involved with the Summer BioBliss Challenge, which helps to track local biodiversity. You'll hear more about it during the episode. And as always, links to everything will be in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to speak with me. Would you like to start us off by introducing yourself and introducing the work that you currently do? Sure. So my name is Michelle Barton, and I'm an environmental specialist with LA Sanitation and Environment. And I run LA Sands Biodiversity Program and another program that's brand new for us, our Healthy Soils Program. Amazing. I guess what are the responsibilities for LA Sanitation and Environment in regards to like what they do for the city versus other departments? So LA Sanitation and Environment, I think is a really unique department because we were the environmental lead for the city. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our core areas are still clean water, solid resources and watershed protection, but we've developed this really great array of boutique programs over the years that are more related to sustainability and the environment and both biodiversity and healthy soils kind of fall under that umbrella. So I think a lot of people are really surprised when they find out like, oh, you do these things that are really incredible and really environmentally focused that are adjacent to, but kind of outside of what people think of as these core areas of a traditional sanitation department. So I think it's it's really fun to bring that knowledge uh, to the forefront and get people excited about the work we do at LA Sanitation and, and Environment. Yeah, it's very fun and exciting. So you are an environmental specialist, but I guess my question there, because the title's kind of vague and broad, is what does that actually mean? So like, what do you do day to day? What is the overall vision, I guess, for your position? Yeah, so the term environmental specialist is definitely vague. (laughs) And across the city, people that work as environmental specialists can do really, really different things. So there are some people that deal with CEQA and kind of environmental review. And then there are other people that do very different work. And I kind of fall into that category. Um, I really am trying to push forward our biodiversity agenda. And what we're doing is, is run in large part by a goal set forth by Mayor Garcetti in LA's Green New Deal. And that's the no net loss of native biodiversity goal. So I'm really kind of trying to focus in on what can be done around this idea of making sure that we don't lose native species, protecting their habitats and just really raising awareness. And I don't think there is another environmental specialist position in the city that does anything quite like what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because what I do is is very external. I'm always engaging with outside partners and stakeholders and a lot of other city staffers that fall in this environmental specialist uh, classification or otherwise are focus more on internal processes, but my role is a very, very outward facing one. 
How does your work kind of differ from environmental consulting versus environmental planning? Or would you say they're all kind of in the same umbrella? So I think, I think that sometimes environmental consulting can get a little bit of a bad rap as, as any form of consulting can. And I think that consulting is much more based on capital improvement projects, development projects, and kind of dealing with some of the environmental review through CEQA and NEPA that has to happen. And so those are more kind of forced, um, forced engagements with the environment, if you will, to produce documents that are mandated by law. But what I do is is very much the flip side of that, where I'm working to engage people broadly about the environment, about habitats, about the incredible biodiversity we have here in LA. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing isn't so much to appease certain environmental laws and regulations. It's more so to just raise awareness of the incredible biodiversity we have here in LA. So I think you know sometimes the work environmental consultants do is, is a little bit icky in terms of how it can lead to development. But the work yeah. I'm doing is really trying to promote preservation, restoration, habitat enhancement. So it's, it's definitely a, a different end of the spectrum, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think everyone in the environmental field can contribute to the knowledge we have of, of what environmental resources we have here in the city of LA and in the region. Right, so what kind of conflicts do you tend to encounter in your work? So you're saying as an environmental specialist, you're here to push preservation and it's kind of going above and beyond what's mandated. But in trying to achieve those goals, for example, with biodiversity, like what you work with, are you met with conflict and pushback on, on your project? What has your experience been with that and how do you deal with it? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying that I feel pretty fortunate because in general, the people I'm work, I work with, the different stakeholders, the different experts are so excited that the city is taking this work on in general, that typically they're just excited and pleased to see that it's happening. So there's not okay. really pushback or conflict. Um, you know, sometimes there are certain, certain issues that come up where different contingents of experts will have different opinions on how we as the city should approach a certain aspect of biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And one thing that came up that's actually kind of interesting is that when we were developing the LA City Biodiversity Index, which is this really incredible tool that the city has designed to track progress towards this no net loss of native biodiversity goal, there was this discussion about what that index should include. And some people said, you know, this should really only track what's going on with our native species and our native ecosystems, and that should be it. And then there was another contingent of people that said, no, this needs to go a step further and look mm -hmm. at what's happening socially. Are we educating students about biodiversity? Are we engaging the public with certain issues? And then not only that, but what are we as this local government doing on biodiversity issues? So there was this idea of like this narrow approach to measuring biodiversity and this broader idea. And in the end, the broader concept won out, which I'm, I'm really excited about. I think it just makes for a, a more exciting program, mm -hmm. but you know, that was an interesting debate to witness and be a part of. 
Nice. So with the biodiversity index is like a tool like you're talking about, and it kind of gets into outreach and policy. So with these measures, do you guys tend to focus on smaller, not small, the index is not small, but like projects that kind of build on each other? Or are you trying to work on legislation policy kind of things? Like how do you get your missions accomplished most of the time? Yeah, that's a good, a really good question. I think, first off, the idea of approaching biodiversity is a really complex one. And so I think that right now we're, we're really just getting started on how to approach things at the city level. Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm working on the baseline measurement of our brand new index. And in this process, I'm having a lot of different meetings and phone calls with people to learn a little bit more about what's going on and how we can take some of these smaller bite-sized projects and scale mm -hmm. them up. Okay. So we've really been leaning into certain pilot projects to see what we can learn, see who we can mobilize and get excited to turn these little bite-sized ideas into bigger things, because you're right, this idea of scaling up is, mm -hmm. is really complicated. But I think the other thing to keep in mind is that the more people we educate, the more people we engage, and the more we can grow as a city to embrace this idea of biodiversity across all of our departments, I think those incremental changes, even if they're small project by project types of things, will start to collectively add up and make a really big difference. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of merit to some of these more incremental bite-sized approaches, but eventually we are as a, as, as a team working towards making some policy recommendations and then working with the city's department of city planning to create a biodiversity policy. Absolutely. So with the biodiversity index, will, when she's ready, how will the public be able to engage with this tool and use it to learn about biodiversity in LA, which I feel like people, including myself, sometimes forget about because it's such an urban space, but we're in this biodiversity hotspot and there's so much to see and experience and learn about. So how can the index kind of add to that as an educational tool? Yeah, so I think the exciting thing about the index is that it's broken up into these 25 little tiny pieces. And what I'm working on right now is coming up with a way to engage the public on each of these. So in some cases, that means making a map. In other cases, that means creating a graphic or doing something that will really draw not just city staffers or elected officials in, but just really be able to serve as a tool to, to pull the public in and get them excited about certain certain things we're exploring. So um, the goal will really be to have 25 individual little chunks of either graphics or just little bits of information and, and maps that can tell a story and share a lot of information in a really succinct way. And we're definitely gonna publish the information in a report. Beyond that, I've been exploring what certain uh, neighboring cities and other groups are doing to share this sort of data. And I'd really love to see it turned into a more 
interactive dashboard where maybe there's some sort of button or something that people can choose for each of these 25 pieces to then really explore and, and get into the weeds on. That would be amazing. Um, for all of the information that you're collecting, do you have a team that's going out and collecting data actively as the index is getting compiled or are you guys basing it off of previous? But then again, biodiversity is not well cataloged here. So I don't know if that was even an option for you guys. Yeah, so that's a really good question. You know, we do have a biodiversity team at LA Sanitation and Environment, but um, I'm the only one that's full-time biodiversity. So the rest okay. of the team has other other responsibilities that they have to deal with day to day. So they do help, but in short, we have limited man or woman power to actually go out and collect data. Right. So what we've done with the index is really lean into metrics that have underlying data sources that are publicly available and ideally updated at regular intervals. So in some instances that data comes from the federal government, like the CalVeg data set that provides great mapping of the different vegetation alliances we have here in the state of California. And then other times that is state data. So we'll, we really do lean into publicly available data so that we don't have to do as much data collection or mm -hmm. sometimes even analysis, right? Sometimes some of that's baked in. The other thing that we have really leaned into as a city is community science. And, you know, <laughs> community science is something that is just so awesome because it, it just exponentially adds to the amount of data we are able to collect and the type of just deep dive studies we're able to do about what species we have, where they are. And above that, it, it's just such a great tool to engage with the public on. So we're, I think, looking at publicly available data and then sourcing some from this community science arena. And with that, then I'm able to kind of gather all of the data pieces that I need to then do the measurements for our biodiversity index. That makes sense. So for community science, how do you guys use iNaturalist or how can people kind of get involved with this if they want to be part of creating the index? Yeah, so iNaturalist is definitely the biggest player in the community science realm. We do also use data from eBird and are hoping to someday incorporate some eDNA data, which is also becoming this kind of emerging aspect of community science. Um, but right now, actually, I am working on some pretty exciting joint programming with the LA Public Library. And just on Monday, actually, we launched our LA BioBlitz Challenge. And it's this great effort where collectively we're trying to engage the public on this topic of biodiversity. And we're actually piloting the kind of gamification almost of this special list of species that LA Sanitation and Environment has developed in partnership with our expert council of species that we consider to be indicator species. 
So these are species where if you see them somewhere, it means that there are all of the habitat building blocks for those species to survive. And typically the species on the list are ones that need larger areas, typically are, are higher quality natural areas to survive. So I'm working with the library to get people out to observe these 37 species and the number of participants we've seen so far and the engagement we've seen so far is so exciting and so heartening. It's been a lot of fun and it's it's really the first time that we've said, okay, this is what we want to see you help us look for on iNaturalist. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just empowering to see how many people are excited to learn about these species and then actually make the effort to go out and look for them. So yeah, the BioBlitz is very fun. I just, I mean, I'm a little late to seeing the posts and information about it this year, but it's such a fun way to get people involved and like excited and the gamification, like you're talking about, it does make it a little extra fun. <laughs> um, I guess you kind of started touching on this earlier, but the next, so there's three parts of like the biodiversity motion that the biodiversity index is part of to promote healthy ecosystems and everything in LA. So the second two are on policy and public outreach. And we kind of touched more on public outreach and how you're thinking about making this like an interactive tool and all of this stuff. But I guess, how would this be used to inform policy? Like, would it be about, these are areas where there's a lot of species, we should close them off from development and protect them. Is it about seeing if we should reintroduce vegetation into the city and it's like urban planning and all of that stuff? I guess that's my question, if that makes sense. Yeah, so one of my colleagues on the biodiversity team is right now working on 10 different biodiversity policy recommendations mm -hmm. and I haven't seen all of them yet, but they do really engage on a variety of topics. And one of the things she's really passionate about is proper plant species selection. So she has actually come up with a pretty cool tool that will help residents select species that are appropriate for their yards based mm -hmm. on both kind of historic ecology conditions and current conditions on the ground so that those species are kind of appropriate for the space, but also will be successful. So that's, that's an area she's really leaning into. Um, in terms of policy though, as, as a department, we do not actually make policy. Mm -hmm. So we have to partner with our sister department, city planning to actually get anything done. So we're, we're working on some concepts to recommend to them, but they yeah. would ultimately be the group that would be weaving those into a policy. Mm -hmm. The tool about like what plant is right for your yard is really cool. I was talking to Evan Meyer from Theodore Payne and he was like someone should come up with like an app or something that you can point at your yard and it'll tell you the right native plants and all of this stuff and then you're literally talking about that getting developed so very cool <laughs> um I guess transitioning to your work with healthy soils first of all I feel like people don't think about soil very much but it's really important and can do so much for us so why are soils important and why should we value healthy soils and restoring soils that have been run out? 
Yeah, so I I even have to admit that (laughs) I, as a biologist, wasn't always thinking about soils. But when you do stop to think about it, soils are really integral to every facet of human life. Soils support agriculture. And so all the food we come from, I think the estimate is 95% of our food is derived from soils. Um, But beyond that, soils are really important in climate regulation. They help store and sequester carbon. And this is my favorite part, but soils also actually host 25% of the planet's biodiversity, which when you stop to think about it is (laughs) so incredible because I think people, when they think about biodiversity tend to look kind of out or up, right? Think about the birds in our trees and those sorts of things. But really there's this incredible diverse world that is below our feet in the soil that these organisms interact with plants, plant roots to make so much of this magic around plant growth and agriculture happen. So they're, they're really integral and really cool critters to learn about and acknowledge and, and be grateful for. So it's been a lot of fun to dive into healthy soils and, and get other people excited about it too. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are you, I guess, what is the Healthy Soils Initiative or what are you guys working on right now? Yeah, so Healthy Soils as a concept for the city is something that is somewhat new. So our Healthy Soils program launched just last summer. So we're, we're still in our infancy. (laughs) Yep, we're still in our infancy. We're not, we're not even quite one yet. But I think that we are trying to just get the city set up for success right now. Mm -hmm. So the main thing that I'm working on is a healthy soil strategy document. And this will be the city's first strategy on healthy soils, but is one that I've worked with a special group of experts and researchers and university professors and just prominent nonprofit organizations on to frame out in terms of the topics we want it to hit and Mm -hmm. some of the actions then that the city can take to really promote healthy soils um, across different departments and even grow different green jobs, brown jobs maybe, around, <laughs> around soils. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to learn about soils and work with these people that are just so passionate to, like I said, get the city set up with this healthy soil strategy document that will guide next steps and ensure that soils are a topic that other departments are considering regularly, Mm -hmm. hopefully with biodiversity. Yeah, so cool. Is the biodiversity that you're talking about in the soil part of the biodiversity index? I don't know if that's too difficult because it's below ground and it's probably hard to get people involved in like identifying biodiversity and all of that. But is that something you're considering with the index? So I think the short answer to that is yes, it's included because one of our metrics looks at community science observations in general. And so we will just be comparing measurement to measurement how many people have engaged with community science. And so if we get more people out there looking for organisms and uploading observations, whether they're of soil biodiversity or your more traditional above ground biodiversity, those things will be captured in that particular metric. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but otherwise with with the index rather than looking just at species richness which okay. would be just how many species you have in an area we have decided to focus on indicator species which mm -hmm. i brought up a little bit earlier but we we've found that just looking at richness can be a poor measure of what's going on on the ground with biodiversity so we've selected these various indicator species that will tell us both about habitat quality, but also will tell us if environmental and habitat conditions are changing. They should be mm -hmm. sensitive to certain changes and what's going on with the ground, on the ground, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think if you think about our indicator species, there are certain things that are ground dwelling, but nothing that I would necessarily place on that list of soil biodiversity but like the California quail, for instance, is a ground dwelling bird. So you'll see it running around on soils, but not in the soil. Yeah. <laughs> Can you kind of explain why species richness is not the best indicator of the health of an ecosystem and a changing environment? Yeah. So species richness is, is a really interesting way to think about biodiversity and I think if you're comparing cities to other cities, I think then it's really interesting to, to understand, okay, this city has 5,000 species and this city has 1,000 species, right? That's, that's a useful comparison. But for a city like Los Angeles that is so, so rich in biodiversity, if we were to say we had 2,000 native species one year and 2,001 the next year, or even 1,999 the next year, what does that tell you exactly? If you don't know which species are changing and how they're changing and what they're sensitive to, those minute changes from time point to time point don't really tell you as much as looking at certain species that you know are going to be sensitive to change that you know people are looking for and doing active research on. So it's not that we don't care about species richness, but just as a metric to produce a meaningful measurement that will be more sensitive to change over time, but also hopefully spur action that will lead to positive changes. We have decided that indicator species are just kind of the more approachable, realistic way to look at some of this data and get the most out of it as possible. It makes total sense. So you are a biologist in training, I guess, but now you're obviously doing all of this environmental and conservation work. So was that always your intention when you were studying biology or when you decided to join, when not, I guess everybody joins the workforce, but when you entered the workforce, was that a decision that you made then? That's a great question, Caroline. So <laughs> I think, you know, I, I studied biology at UCLA as an undergrad. And if, if you had asked me then, like, do you envision yourself in, in government or city government? I probably would have said, no, I, I don't know. I don't think so. But really my interest throughout my studies and my career has been in e applied ecology and conservation. And I okay. think that what I'm doing now really perfectly encapsulates that. And so I, I don't think as a student, I really 
knew what I wanted to do and how to frame that and what terminology to use. I knew I was interested in conservation and I knew I wanted to do something kind of practical. I didn't quite want to be in a lab or do something that was super obscure. I wanted to do something that I could engage with the public on. And, and so uh, I think in a lot of ways, I ended up in the perfect position to use my educational background and also just lean into some of these personal interests and, and just excitement around conservation. Mm-hmm. I, so obviously I'm also at UCLA and you went to UCLA, so it's a research university and I feel like they focus a lot on being in the lab and doing the research and kind of the obscure academia, gathering information side of things. But if you are interested in the applied work like you were and I am, uh, how can you scope out what that work can actually be? Because I feel like just in my experience here, it's kind of hard to see where you can actually do applied work if all you're really being exposed to is like research opportunities and you should do research and all of that stuff. So I guess, do you have any insight? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think really research can very much still be applied, but I think it all comes down to the types of questions that you're interested in pursuing. And so when I was in grad school at Cal State Long Beach, I, I very much decided to pursue a thesis project that would allow me to work on this cusp and ask these questions that were related to management decisions, but also embedded in ecology. And so I started to straddle that line a little bit through these kind of strategically designed research questions. And, you know, I think really that has led to a very fruitful network of colleagues and, and different professionals that I'm really fortunate to know that also helped push me into positions, whether they were internships or other things that have grown my skills in this kind of unique area of applied ecology. And so I think really, ultimately, it starts with the types of questions you're interested in. So if you're looking for a lab as an undergrad or, or a grad student, Think about the types of questions those researchers are asking and if they're related more so towards applied science or lab science. That makes total sense. So you kind of touched on this, I guess the power of your network and the people you know to kind of help expose you to different things and get you different opportunities. So how can you kind of maximize either finding a good mentor or using the connections that you have and kind of not being afraid to ask people for like advice or guidance and that kind of thing? You know, I think, I think the best advice I can offer on that is to find someone that you respect and trust and let them know what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to some pretty incredible connections. So when I was thinking about applying to grad school, but wasn't sure I was going to, I actually reached out to one of my former teaching assistants from UCLA and said, hey, I'm interested in trying to get into these areas of conservation science and ecology, but I'm having a lot of trouble making headway. Do you have any advice or suggestions? And I was not expecting this at all, but he basically said, 
here is a list of my former UCLA PhD, PhD excuse me, um, friends and colleagues. They are doing incredible work of all varieties across LA. I want you to reach out to each of them and like go visit them and learn about what they do. Cool. So he basically gave me this, this list of names and I did, I, I went and I met, um, I met the director of the Bay Foundation. I met the, she's now the director of the Cabrillo Marine Aquarium, had different conversations with people that were using their biology and ecology degrees and expertise in very, very different ways. Mm-hmm. And since I was at this moment where I was struggling to find a, a position that was too to my liking and and just um, really in the field I wanted to be in. It was a really inspiring little tour and set of interviews to to just reach out to these people and understand the possibilities. And the other thing I'll I'll leave you with is that everyone I reached out to just as a, a cold call or a random email, they were all so warm and engaging and inviting. So if anyone is thinking about getting into a career, just find some, find some people, find some organizations that are doing the work and reach out. And hopefully you will have the same experience of being <laughs> pleasantly surprised by the generosity of the professionals in that, in the field. Yeah, absolutely. So you clearly ended up doing government work and working at the city. What do you feel like have been the pros and cons of working at the city level versus like the state or the national level? Because I feel like sometimes it seems more obvious if that's the right word to work for the state or for the government, for the national government. And like, it has, I don't know, I guess it has more of a sex appeal because it seems more flashy and like cool, whatever. So why, yeah, I guess, what is your experience working at the city? So I have absolutely loved working for the city of LA. It's It's been, I think, an incredible place to grow my career and just a really great um, globally recognized leader in so many fields, including biodiversity. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to get the city. And honestly, I, I did work for the state for about a year and a half. And, you know, I, I think that as you move up from the local level to the state level and, and the federal level, there are more visible contingents of people working on different issues because instead of having a couple of people working on an issue at a a local level, all of a sudden you have departments that span regional offices and even different states. So you have this this bigger network of people to lean into. There's also a, a sense of rigidity that can come with being in state or federal government where you're working on more narrowly defined projects and objectives. And and at the city level, especially with some of these new and emerging areas of interest like biodiversity and healthy soils, there's a lot more room for creativity and innovation and just engagement of stakeholders that is not necessarily possible at the the state or federal level. So I would actually argue that the city level is the, the sexiest level. <laughs> I can get behind that. Um, so you're like, you're talking about the creativity and freedom to kind of try new things and try new projects. 
have you have any of your experiences with that kind of stood out to you and made you feel like like good about your work and excited to go in every day well I know I I know I mentioned it earlier but Mm -hmm. the thing that is just keeping me so excited right now is the LA BioBlitz challenge that I've been working on with LA Public Library it's been really exciting to engage with a different department and get them so excited about this idea of biodiversity. And I, I think that it's led to just some new ways of thinking about ways that I, as someone in LA sanitation and environment can work with other departments to promote some of these citywide goals in some really innovative and exciting ways. And uh, I'll I'll expand on that a little bit and just say that, you know, so many of the stakeholders that I typically reach through my work are more professionals that are at different nonprofits that are engaging with biodiversity or healthy soils issues. But the library has access to kids, students, families, which is this very different um, arena and, and one that's been, I think, really exciting to lean into a little bit and just motivate and teach about biodiversity. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's very fun. And you can tell that you're, it's good to be on a call with you and see how very obviously and visibly excited you are about all of the projects that are happening. Because that's, it's just good to see and it like makes you happy. With the nonprofits that you work with do you guys do a lot of like collaborative work or is it a lot of check-in what are you doing what do we want to do here and there how can we help each other if that question makes sense yeah so for each of my programs we have a special group of experts that we really, really look to for guidance and advice. So on the biodiversity side of things, that's our biodiversity expert council. And for healthy soils, it's our healthy soils advisory panel. Those are just fancy ways of saying we have a body of experts that we engage with on on both of those topics. And on each of those panels or councils, we have this range of kind of academics and people that are doing research, but then also people from different nonprofits that are doing on the ground work on these topics. And so I I think that we really are looking to them as Mm -hmm. these people that are doing the work for direction and guidance, and also to just check the work that we're putting out there. So we really do lean on them for their advice and their expertise. And in some cases, advice on on lessons learned, what has and hasn't worked, what data is and isn't available. So we really, they're kind of like an extension of our program. They're, I mean, they, they really make it happen. They help review documents. They have provided an incredible amount of expertise and guidance on both the biodiversity index and then on the healthy soils strategy document. So they're they're so integral to what we do. And I think that having them involved makes our final products much stronger and much better because instead of just us as an agency saying, 
this is what we think we should do for the healthy soil strategy, or this is what we think we should measure for the biodiversity index. We have these very robust, sometimes heated conversations on exactly how to tackle these different issues. So, you know, I, I think that they are just incredibly, incredibly valuable and so generous with their time um, on both fronts. That's amazing. You also kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but people can have very different perspectives about, obviously everybody wants to help biodiversity and all this stuff, but how to approach it. And sometimes you like don't want to listen to the other side and all this stuff. So do you have recommendations about how you can have these types of conversations in a way that can get heated and passionate and all of that wonderful stuff that shows that people care, but still being respectful and being able to hear each other's points of view and find some type of agreement at the end of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can point to an event that Elysian just hosted with the Natural History Museum and the, the California Land Stewardship Network. And we pulled together a biodiversity roundtable to talk to different nonprofits in the area that are doing work that's environmental, but they're maybe not leaning into biodiversity specifically or engaging with community science. And we brought them together to kind of figure out maybe why they weren't engaging with these topics, but also to talk about ways to better think about equity and inclusion in this topic of biodiversity science. And to get ready for the roundtable, we did quite a few different trainings to think about ways where we could have some rather sensitive conversations and have different topics come up that maybe, like you said, are in disagreement with each other. But to, to mediate those and listen to everyone, take in everyone's thoughts and ideas in a way that's productive. And I think ultimately that is what we achieved with our roundtable. And it was a format that I'm really excited to use again in the future. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, we need to listen to each other and respect the ideas that are brought forth by various stakeholders and partners and, and just really give people the space to express their ideas and acknowledge their ideas. And you know, we can't always take every suggestion and turn that into something or, or, you know, sometimes you do have to choose between two opposing sides or, or aspects of, of something. But I think there's, there's a lot of merit in just listening and, and learning more and figuring out if there is maybe a way to have some, some degree of compromise. Yeah. Um, I guess, do you have any last words or calls to action about your work with the biodiversity index or healthy soils or life in general? <laughs> I guess. Um, in terms of calls to action, I mean, we have a great flyer on our website with just some simple things people can do to promote both healthy soils and biodiversity because really the actions have so much overlap and are, are probably a lot of the same things that people say over and over, but doing things like planting native plants, even, even if you don't have a yard, you have a balcony or a teeny tiny front porch or step, <laughs> having a couple potted native plants 
can help provide habitat for our different native species and and ensure that they have space to forage and shelter. Um, so beyond that though, I'd say avoiding toxic pesticides and herbicides is really important both for biodiversity and for soil health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also encourage people to consider at-home composting or joining a, a compost collaborative. There are a lot of ways we can reduce our environmental footprint and turn our waste products into soil amendments like compost and mulch that can then benefit our gardens and green spaces. Amazing and attainable, which is what we like to hear. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to sit down with me and have this talk. Well, thank you, Caroline. And thanks for your interest in the biodiversity and healthy soils program. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and the show, be sure to share the podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate all of your support so much, and those actions help to both spread environmentalism within your own communities and keep wonderful guests like Michelle coming on to the show. If you want to learn more about Michelle Barton, the Biodiversity Index, Healthy Soils, or getting involved in community science, you can go to lacitysan.org. Specific page links will be in the description. Thanks again for listening and I will see you next time.